the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now at seven minutes past ten o'clock. On this Monday, the 17th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2022, appreciate you being with us. It is, of course, Martin Luther King Day. By the way, just a little uh, aside, uh, we didn't cut the end of that speech. There was only about 45 seconds left in that uh, most famous of Martin Luther King's speeches. Um, we didn't cut it and go to the news that awkwardly and clumsily. There was a, I was actually playing the audio from a video, a YouTube video. And that's what I get for using YouTube. That's my mistake. But there was a there was a cutout. There was an audio cutout in the video. He kept talking in the in the video side, but uh, the audio just glitched out. Um, so we didn't hear him. Uh, the the infamous ender, the famous end of that speech. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. So, uh, just a terrific, terrific uh, look back and retrospective of uh, one of the great civil rights leaders in in American and human history. And by the way, just from an oratory perspective talk about god's gifts you know that i mean it's 1963 you know here we are literally 50 years later ish and we're we're i marvel at at that man's oratory skills his ability there are very few like him i think ronald ray there are very few people who can move mountains almost with 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 their words just their delivery, just their commanding presence like that. Ronald Reagan was one. I think JFK was one, uh, clearly. It, it's just, there's a gift that not everybody has. And I'm not even talking about just politicians. But wow, uh, it's just, I, you know, here, here we are. I wasn't even alive when that speech was given. And all of these years later, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm just blown away by it. I still get goosebumps by it. At any rate, the other reason I wanted to play that, it's not just because, hey, it's Martin Luther King Day, let's play the I Have a Dream speech and call it a day. Yeah, that's how we honor Martin Luther King. We play his speech and say, hey, remember that? And then we go on about our day. That wasn't the intention here today. I played that because I wanted to use it as the, you know, as a, as a jumping off point to have a discussion about what those words meant then and how and if they are still applicable today. It's a legitimate question because of the politics of the day, because of the summer of George Floyd, because of the uh, the politics of, of racial identity, which the Democrats have made essentially their platform now. Everything is about racial or uh, sexual or ethnic identity. But more specifically and most specifically, it's about African-American identity and the African-American place in a systemically racist, white supremacist country. And that's what they want you to believe it is, which is why their intent is to teach little white children 
to feel terrible about how they look and what evil lies in their hearts and runs through their veins because of their whiteness and to tell little black children to be terrified of those white devils because they do hate you. They do see themselves as being supreme over you and you will never have a fair shake in their world. So prepare to push back and fight for every little scrap. You are a victim. This is what they're doing. And through the lens of critical race theory, as I have said before, it is very obvious to see that the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. is dead. It is, at this moment in time in the United States of America. Because his dream of his children being seen and evaluated by the color of their or the content of their character instead of the color of their skin is no longer even a hope. It's no longer a dream. Now it's a nightmare. Now, rather than judging people by content of character, we do judge them by the color of their skin upon direct orders of the Democrat Party and the left wing American media. That and the left-wing educational American educational system. That is what critical race theory does. It makes sure the first thing you see about someone is their color, and then you evaluate how you're going to treat them on that basis. So today may be a holiday for those of us who still believe in equality, but today is a is nothing to the modern American Democrat Party. Today is a day to to frown upon. Because they don't believe in a colorblind society. They believe in a color-coded society. The exact opposite of what MLK stood for. Khalid Namar is my friend. Let's bring him in now. Khalid Namar is um, he's a black guy, first and foremost. And that matters, because I want to have a conversation. A white guy and a black guy talking about this stuff. But he's more than that. He's also a staunch conservative, a tremendous philanthropist. He dedicates his time to some wonderful, wonderful causes. The American Trinity Project, among them with his friend Dan Messina. And he is a guest host on this radio program, which I'm proud to say, because he does a phenomenal job every time he does it. Khalid Namar now joins me on AM 1420, The Answer. Khalid, happy MLK Day, my friend. How are you? Thank you, brother. Uh, same to you, and I'm, I'm so happy to be talking about this with you. Uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad you mentioned you know, my brother Dan Messina because w- what I've talked to him, what we, we have talked about uh, many, many times is the fact that the fact that he and I are sitting together, you know, we're in a restaurant somewhere uh, from different sides of the tracks, quote-unquote, the fact that we're so close, uh, my best friend, we are working to uh, try to educate people and enlighten young people in particular about the history of the country. And the fact that he and I can do that together right then and there is a realization of Dr. King's dream in many ways, as well as other examples in society that we have. And despite all the negativity, people, as you mentioned, are using race. Uh, or to color code society for political power and advantage, which which is the flip side of the evil that was done during Jim Crow. They have done nothing to improve the situation. They just, what I've said in many cases, the left has flipped over the, the, the filthy mattress to the other side. Uh, the, the best way to do uh, uh, or to, to uh, exemplify Dr. King's dream is to do, was to de-emphasize race, de-emphasize color. However, for political power, it is a cudgel, it's a hammer, it's a baseball bat, and it's used to drive a wedge, uh, you know, into society that would make Dr. King cringe because 
you de-emphasize race, de-emphasize color, not use it the same way white supremacists did uh, throughout times past, well, Democrats have done throughout times past, to, for, uh, for political advantage, political gain, and this is all it's used for. And I honestly, believe it or not, uh, I really don't like the, the King holiday. And it has nothing to do with Dr. King. It's, it's, it's the bastardization of his name that I don't like. Explain that a little further, Khalid. What do you mean the bastardization of his name? Because of what you just said with the dream and what I was discussing and how it's, it's being, it's being um, you know, it's essentially being ignored yes. now. It's, the reverse is happening. Yes, it's absolutely. It is used to wag fingers at people to talk about how bad they are, and st- they still are. Uh, when I hear some of these people say, uh, uh, well, we, we have a long way to go. Well, whom are you speaking to? These are the you, uh, for instance, if you are some uh, left wing politician on television talking about we have a long way to go, you're really talking about white people because you certainly you think you've arrived. You think you're pure. You think society is still racist and needs to be cleansed of all of people's uh, uh, bad thoughts uh, and bad ideas, uh, words. It is used in such a bad way, his name, uh, to demonize the society and for people to gain more political power. Also, it's used to, to, to garner money. It's been commercialized. Uh, the NBA and all these other uh, sports leagues, for example, corporations, they use Dr. King's image for commercial purposes. It is not meant to self-reflect, for all of us to self-reflect on how to be better Americans. It's used for one group to beat the other group over the head and to wag its finger at the country and say, uh, you're trying, but you're still, you're still a bad, you're still a bad country, but you're trying. Khalid Namar. Uh, that's what, that's what I like. That, no, it's a great explanation. Khalid Namar is my guest. Uh, you hear Khalid as a guest host for me, uh, oftentimes when I'm not in town or able to do my show. Um, Khalid, tell me your thoughts on CRT. Um, as an educational, uh, you know, piece of curricula, um, but also as a societal cudgel, which is what I think it is being used as. Tell me your thoughts on uh, anti-racism, as defined by I- Ibram X. Kendi in his book uh, yeah. called Anti-Racism. Because again, this is this was my point that I made to you uh, on the phone the other day, and and I made coming in here. Anti-racism is. Racism, Um, it it literally calls not for, as Dr. King said, for little black boys and black girls to sit and hold hands with little white boys and little white girls. It calls for black uh, people and little black boys and girls to harm the little white boys and girls. He said very directly that the only response to past... um, uh, uh, Oppression, I, and I think I may be misquoting it a little bit, but but the the only response to past oppression is present oppression, and the only response to present oppression is future oppression. And like I said, I may be a little bit off in my wording there, but essentially he's saying those who oppressed blacks in a previous time should be oppressed themselves now, and if they're being oppressed now, that should continue into the future. It's basically the only way to balance the scale. So he's literally calling for the oppression of and the harming of white people simply for their skin color 
regardless of the fact that they had nothing to do with anything that went on in that previous terrible time of of Jim Crow and certainly, of course, going all the way back to the time of slavery. Um, so w- what are your thoughts on that, again, as it relates to MLK? Um, again, the, the, uh, the goal, at least according in, in, in Dr. Gaines' mind, was to de-emphasize race, de-emphasize color. Let's focus on character. Let's focus on the individual. Let's look at each other as Americans. Now, what these people have done, and, and, and people who know me know that academics are amongst my least favorite group of people in society. They're the most overrated people, particularly, uh, the, 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 the the type of academic like Iram Kendi. Uh, these people use, they're using guilt. They want to shame people for the sins of their, of their parents. Well, and parents, grandparents, ancestors, whatever you want to call it. Right. It's evil because when Dan and I teach history, we let people know that history is something to be learned from, to be looked at, and to be approved upon. It is not meant for you to stick your chest out. It is not meant for you to hang your head in shame. It is, things happened in times past. They are to be learned from, and they are to be learned uh, in context. What CRT does, it makes people feel guilty, and it makes people feel as though some type of remuneration needs to be made because of the sins of, of the past. Instead of making people better individuals today to learn from this time, you want people to feel bad about themselves because they're white, because they're Irish, because they're Polish. And that is the miseducation that is taking place because there's no context. Polish people, Czechoslovakians, uh, Ukrainians had nothing to do with American slavery. Most of them, most white people weren't even here till after the turn of the century. But what it's making people believe is that uh, you should feel ashamed and you should somehow get on your knees and, and apologize for what happened, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even 60, 70 years ago. You have people literally doing that. They're, they're wearing these T-shirts uh, to make, I don't know, black people feel better about ourselves, I guess. And they're hanging their heads in shame and they're saying, we're sorry. I have no respect for people who pander and who grovel uh, about things they had nothing to do with in order to, to, uh, to, to make me feel better. You, you're an embarrassment. Is what you are, and CRT is making people angry. It's making people more divided. I've been on. Uh, I was learning CRT before CRT was a thing. Growing up in, in the Nation of Islam, growing up in public schools, where in fifth grade my teacher told uh, our class, I'll never forget, uh, in a rant about economics, white people control the money. This was in fifth grade. Now it's been, you know, it's on steroids now. This type of thinking. Uh, academics, in, in, on a college level in particular, are some of the most uh, destructive people in society. And we're producing them, it seems, it'd be by the hundreds every year. They're allowed to spew any kind of nonsense they want. They, want. they have a platform on MSNBC. Uh, they throw out white supremacy and white nationalists and Nazi. Uh, it rolls off their tongue so easily. And all it does is make people feel more and more angry, more and more divided, and, uh, and, and it shames young people into thinking that they're responsible for something they had nothing to do with. Khalid, let me uh, let me jump in here because we need a break. It's, uh, it's 1021. Uh, but I want you to stay with me, and on the other side, 
I want to ask you if there is a Rubicon that we can cross from which we can never return. It, will there, and maybe we already have. And I want to give me. I want to get your thoughts on that. Is there a place where we can go with the division and the racial animus and the racial hatred and the racial arsonists just continuing to set these fires to the point where we will never be able to recover? And if uh, you know, if if that place is coming, uh, what do we do? I want to get your thoughts on that as we continue right after this on AM 1420. Okay, 1024 now. Khalid uh, Namar is with me, and we're talking about MLK Day 2022. We're talking about the words of Dr. King in 1963 in his famous I Have a Dream speech. We're talking about how that dream has been pursued by so many for so long. People of all colors trying to make it a reality where equality is is of opportunity is there for everyone. People judged by their work ethic, by their merit, by their content of their character, not by their skin color, and how it's all being reversed right now. Um, you mentioned academics, Khalid. Um, Glenn Youngkin is the new governor of the state of Virginia, as you know, and he won that race in large part because of his opposition to CRT, in large part because parents who saw what their kids were being put through uh, stormed into school board meetings and demanded that this stuff be stopped. Uh, we all know what happened after that. The Biden administration targeted them as domestic parents and uh, domestic terrorists, rather. And, uh, you know, the voters came out in a blue state and voted for the Republican. Now, Glenn Youngkin has picked opponents of CRT and others, uh, outsiders for top education positions. They are working to ban critical race theory throughout Virginia schools. In fact, to ban all political agendas from our classrooms. I bring that up, Khalid, to say, that's great, and Ron DeSantis has done the same in Florida, but it may be too late. It may be too late in those states because CRT has already been pushed upon these kids. And secondly, there are a whole bunch of other states that aren't banning it. Do you believe there will be a point where enough young people, white and black, are indoctrinated with CRT, taught to hate one another, taught about oppressors and victims, to the point where we'll never be able to come back, that we will cross a Rubicon? Your thoughts? Um. I would have to say, unfortunately, I think that we, we, we might get to that point because this, this is so powerful. Uh, I was, I was, I, I tutored kids in reading uh, a few years back, uh, at a middle school right here in Cleveland. And I had uh, some, you know, sixth graders talking amongst themselves about how police are shooting black people. That made me so sad to hear two young boys talking like this. This is obviously what they hear from their home or they hear from adults around them. They hear it from television. Uh, this stuff is so uh, pervasive from from television. The media is one of the, the next academics or probably I would say before academics, the most destructive force in society because they give platforms to this nonsense. So we're at a point where it, the indoctrination is coming through. Uh, media so rapidly at young people it's coming out of the mouths of people that they respect and uh the the people with the biggest platform are telling these kids this they're they've commercialized this they've institutionalized this kind of thinking in colleges they're turning out leftist race conscious uh america hating young people like widgets out of these universities um 
it's it's you you, you remember the uh, scene from Lucille Ball that the, the chocolate factory, the conveyor belt was running so fast. This is how how we're producing leftists out of these universities. So I do believe that I have to admit almost, I was not a Lucille Ball fan. <laughs> I, know, I know she's a legend. I know she's a legend, but I could not take that show. I never watched it, so I'm going to take your word on that one. <laughs> but uh, we are we, we, we're to the point where we have ruined the next generation already, particularly over the last three years, with all the police, uh, the anti-police sentiment, the false stories of, of, of police violence and shootings against black people has already ruined another generation because it is truth now. And, and very, very small pockets of people know what the real truth is. But the masses are already convinced that this is basically 1964 all over again. Uh, and I'll give you a smoking gun as to uh, why there's such a big lie. You, you know, uh, the, the civil rights movement was meant to end legal discrimination. So real systemic racism. It has ended. Uh, and to show you the smoking gun, not only do we have 10,000, more than 10,000 black elected, elected officials who somehow are ineffective in, in, in battling racism. But anyway, we have over 10,000 black elected officials. We had about 1,500 black elected officials in 1970. Uh, but guess what? There was an article, 2018, Chicago Magazine, November 7th, why Illinois is the mecca of black political power. And it talks about Illinois sending more people to uh, to Congress, 18, than any other state, not even close. They talked about half of Illinois statewide officials will be African-American, Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton, Secretary of State Jessica, Jesse White, Attorney General Kwame Raul. They brag about producing the only black president. Uh, they have the mayors, uh, the, may the mayorship in Chicago. They have the police chief. They run the school board. Uh, the, the, they have more political juice in this state, black political juice, than any other, but yet it's a mess. But yet these same people spew systemic racism. So who, who is the system? It's you. It's us. You can have this in a, in a truly systemically racist, racist uh, country. And that's just but one example. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And that's a great example that you just gave. Khalid, do me a favor. I, I, I want to get one more quick segment with you after the news because I'm going to play a clip for you you probably have heard before, <clears throat> and I haven't discussed in quite some time, but I think it's perfectly apropos uh, based on our conversation today on Martin Luther King Day uh, 2022. So stick with me for one more short segment, Khalid. I won't keep we'll you do. the rest of the morning, I promise. But I'll just get one more segment out of you because I want you, re you to react to this um, and give us your perspective as a man of color. Uh, we're right back after this, AM 1420, The Answer. is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1037. I got 23 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you this morning. And Khalid Namar is going to fill some of them with us. By the way, Khalid, you and I 
could do the next three hours without taking a breath. Um, but absolutely. <laughs> but we don't have we don't have to. I, I, I I'm going to play a clip for you here. I want you to respond to. And while I do that, I want to tell people if you've got a question and you would like to. Uh, uh, discuss this with Khalid and myself. You know, again, we're just two guys, a black guy and a white guy, talking about MLK and talking about race relations today and whether or not the dream of MLK from 1963 is dead here by 2022. And I contend to you that it is. Uh, if you want to get in on it, seriously, uh, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Um, you think about dialing while I play this. Now, Khalid, it was in 2014... Summer of 2014, that Morgan Freeman sat down for this interview with Don Lemon on CNN. Now, like you and a lot of other people, we don't watch CNN, but I did see yeah. this after the fact. And this conversation, as Don, I just want to get your reaction to it, as Don Lemon tries to parrot the, hey, we are victims, we are put down upon, we don't have the same fair chances as others, as he illustrates that narrative, and Morgan Freeman calls BS, literally, by the word. We have a little bleep in here so you don't hear the word, but he literally calls BS on this. I'm going to get your reaction, and other people's as well, to this. Here's a stat from uh, from your show, and it says that the richest 85 people on this planet have as much money as the poorest, 3.5 billion. Yeah, yeah. right. That's on the planet, however. And that's it's not far off in America. Look. No, it isn't far off in America. But we still, and we still here don't abandon the idea that it isn't finite. Yeah. It isn't finite. If you were born, where were you born? Me? Yeah. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Baton Rouge General Hospital. Baton Rouge. There you go. Louisiana. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I had a long haul uh, from where I came from to here. But here we are. Right. So proof is in the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And here we sit at the dining table. But it's hard to, when you say that to some people, because they say, oh, there you go with a pull yourself up by the bootstraps thing. And, you know, you're just being respectable. Not everybody can do that. Everybody can. Everybody doesn't. Courage. Courage is the key to life itself. There are a lot of people who are born in situations where they say, well, I'll never get out of this. So they won't. Uh, I say to people who say, well, I, I would like to have done so and so and so. So well, you could have done it. So, well, I couldn't get out of here. Man, the bus runs every day. <laughs> All right, Khalid, that's part one. There's a second clip I want to play, too, but I don't want to uh, you know, put them back to back and then have you forget the first part. So give me a reaction to what you just heard. Is Don Lemon again. You know, I like, I like it, by the way, how Lemon tried to phrase the, frame the, you know, a lot of people would say, you can't pull yourself out. That's what he says. That has been his yeah. argument. Don't tell. AOC makes the same argument. People can't just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And, and uh, Morgan Freeman says, bulls blank. You can. Go ahead. Um, that, that, what you heard there was a generational uh, conflict, so to speak. You have a, a young, coddled, progressive talking to an, an older, uh, more hard-scrabble uh, individual in Morgan Freeman who really came up the hard way. He came up at a time where there was real systemic racism. He grew up uh, in the South. 
he at the time, I think Morgan Freeman is close to 80 years old now, if he's not 80, talking to someone who is what Don Lemon's in his 30s, who really doesn't know anything. Uh, so the perspective was outsized in that conversation. And it, it, it bothers me to hear that because this is why African immigrants come to this country and excel more than most other groups because they don't, they don't hear this type of nonsense. They have a dream of coming to this country, knowing that they can do whatever they want, and they're excelling you know, fabulously in this country. Uh, you have 40% of the hotels and motels in this country are owned by Indians. 40% of the hotels and motels are owned by a group that makes up less than 5% of the population. Makes actually, I think it's like uh, 5 million of them in the entire country. Because they don't subject themselves to this type of nonsense. Barack Obama, the first serious candidate to run for president, not the first black candidate, the first serious black candidate, shall yeah. I say, raised more money than any other person to run for that office. And two years in the state Senate, two years in the U.S. Senate, he became president on a rocket ship. But um, all that money he raised came from black people, right? <laughs> yeah, all $700 million <laughs> came from black people. But I, the, just, but, I just but, had to point yeah. that out because, you know, that's the point you're making here. Clearly, if all of the wealth lies in the white population, how did Barack Obama raise all of that money? And the answer is because a whole bunch of white people gave it to him because this is not a systemically racist nation. They saw him yeah. and they saw hope and change and said, I want to be a part of that. And I think they're stupid. I think it was a disaster, yeah. and not because yeah. he's black, but because he's socialist. And and on we go. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, but in, in that article I pointed out from Chicago Magazine about the black political power in Illinois, talked about Illinois is not a majority uh, black state, but they produce more black candidates and elected officials, not candidates, elected officials, than any other state by far. Because of the people of the state are open to electing people wrongly as they are, uh, regardless of their color. Right. But if you look at the, the power structure and the wealth of this country and how groups who don't subject themselves to this type of indoctrination that Don Lemon is talking about, uh, the Nigerians, for example, are, are doing so well in this country with some basic tenets, family structure, education, and their parents are no nonsense. And they're producing fabulous results in this country. Uh, Caribbean blacks are doing particularly well in this country. Now they're starting to be discriminated against against uh, <laughs> uh, native-born African-Americans because they're actually doing so well, they're being excluded, and they're being called blacks and not African-Americans. This is actually what's happening a lot on college campuses. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so it just it goes to show you that it's, it's the thinking that is the problem. It is not the system because guess what? When... You have a Barack Obama when you have a, I don't know, let's just say uh, an Oprah Winfrey, or you have a Khalid Namar, the system gets no credit. But when you have someone that ends up in prison, that ends up selling drugs on the street, or ends up uh, you know, not having success in life, the system gets all the blame. And what this about, is the irony of it. What, what about when you have a winsome Sears? What about when you oh, have yeah. a Winsome Sears? In fact, I heard her yesterday. I'm just going to repeat what our former, well, our current President um, Biden and our current Vice President Harris has said about racism when they were asked, is racism systemic in America? Their answer was absolutely no. And so 
I am the embodiment of what we're trying to achieve in America. Uh, we want everyone to have equal opportunity. And here I sit today to say it can happen. I am so tired of those who look at life as being the glass is half empty. What a negative way to continue to view life because, you know, life is going to hit you hard and you have to be prepared for it. You come out of the womb screaming. That ought to be an indication of how things are going to be. The rich suffer, yes. The poor suffer and everybody in between. We can make it. We can make it. First African-American female lieutenant governor in the state of Virginia. She is, um, you know, she, she is an extraordinary fountain of positivity when you listen to her. She's a woman of color. She isn't talking about how hard it is and how I don't have the same opportunities. She said, I went and made my opportunities because that's what Morgan Freeman was saying. That's what our responsibility is. Go decide what we want to do and make it happen instead of sitting here complaining somebody is holding me back. I love Winston Sears. Her energy and her enthusiasm is incredible. I can tell you this real quick. Uh, <clears throat> there's a young man who uh, was living in Providence, Rhode Island. He was in, in, in jail, county jail. His mother, he calls his mother on the phone. The feds are raiding her house because of his drug dealing activities. She, she's so angry that the feds are at her house. He's sitting in county jail. She tells him, uh, don't ever come to my house again. Don't ever come home again. That was his come to Jesus moment. He beat his case, luckily, he did a little time in the county. He got out, got into college, graduated, got into law school, graduated. He became the city's attorney in Providence, the city attorney. The same guy who sold drugs and sold crack represented the city of Providence as a city attorney. And this is an ancient history. This guy's maybe 40 years old now. Now he has his own practice. So all those things that got him into prison or into jail are still there, the drugs, the crime, the fast money. Those things are still there. The only difference is he changed. So the system will get blamed for him sitting in the county jail, but it will get no credit for him being the top attorney in the city of Providence, Rhode Island. Wow. Um, Khalid, we've got just a few minutes left. I want to play the other part of the Morgan Freeman clip for you, but I also want to take this call from Sam in Cleveland. So let's do that first. Sam was kind enough to call in. He's got something to offer to this conversation, so let's do that. Sam, go right ahead. You're on the air. Uh, good morning. Um, I wanted to talk to you. I moved here from uh, Key West, Florida seven years ago. I married a Clevelander, and I moved here to manage a divorce and custody situation. And um, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I voted Democrat all my life until Hillary. Um, but moving to a Democrat-run city, and I've discovered um, Domestic Relations Court, which has five justices that are all women. There's 20 magistrates that process their cases. Only four of them are men. And I discovered mm-hmm. um, that regardless of what the Ohio Revised Code says, how the law is interpreted and applied is completely different. And to use the black community as an example, um, in 1970, 70% of households were two-parent households. Today, that number is less than 30%. And I believe women are incentivized in to... to uh, it's not that a woman can't be a good single parent. She can't be a father. And I work a lot with fathers and fathers' rights organizations to try and get fathers back in, the, in, in front of their kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, Sam, did, did you have a question you wanted to add, or just you wanted us to comment yeah, on that? So what I've discovered is in a Democrat-run city like Cleveland, you have domestic relations court if you're married, but then you have juvenile court if you're not married. And it seems like there's white custody court and black custody court as the way it's mm-hmm. divided up in Cuyahoga County. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Sam, thank, thanks for the phone call. Uh, Khalid, did you have anything you wanted to respond to with that? 
Well, uh, to, to talk about his point about the the the, the female headed uh, you know households yeah. and the courts, there has been a relationship between the two. There's been a relationship between the uh, weakening of, of 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 the male in the home or the absence of the male in the home and the growth of the child support system and the court system, because that is one of the cudgels that the the left has used to sort of uh, try to tip the scales uh, in favor of females the court system and the bigger the or the weaker the family has gotten the bigger the court system has gotten and it is it's it's a tragedy and again not that women can't be leaders not that women can't uh do effective jobs but what the t- the scales have been tipped so out of balance there's been such an overcorrection that you have now some of the most destructive women <laughs> in positions of power over the court system attorneys generals prosecutors, and, yes, judges. And that's having a negative effect on society in, in many ways. Not every way, but many ways. So I think there's a, there has been a relationship to, uh, to, to the weakening of males in the Do you think there is a predisposition on the part of some of these judges in these courts, though, to side with the, the mothers because of the you know, the overwhelming number of fathers who flee? It, it almost, it's yes. almost like those who want to be a part of their kids' lives have a have a higher hill to climb because they're being judged by the actions of other people who who share their gender, that fathers have bailed oh. enough that even good dads who want to be a part of it, they're just kind of, you know, the the, the, the presupposition is, ah, you're a guy, you're never going to care for that kid, judgment for the mother. Yeah, yeah you're stigmatized. Um, my brother had that experience who voluntarily went down to court to try to get uh, his child support situation straightened out some years ago, and he automatically was treated with animosity walking through the door. You're stigmatized right away as a deadbeat because you're a male. This is how they treat him right. when he treated him when he went to his daughter's school. Because women, in many cases, not all, think they are inherently the better parent, uh, and they get almost no blame for when children turn out the wrong way. It's all on no. the fathers. Oh, right, exactly. And and by the way, you know, I mean, it, it's it's kind of bizarre, but. There are some things that women just do way, way better than men when it comes to parenting. Yeah. But the reality yeah. is there are some things that men do way, way better than women when it comes to parenting. It takes two, and that's why it is so obvious statistically when there are kids come, being born to single-parent households, they, they're, you know, the chances of them getting into drugs, getting into crime, attempting suicide, running away, blah, 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 are exponentially higher than people raised with a mother and a father who are married. And I know we're not telling you, breaking any new ground there, but... Um, but that's the reality of it, and and I wish more courts and judges knew that that par- that fathers yeah. are just as important as mothers. Um, yeah. Let me get this for you because we're done here, Khalid. But I want you to hear it since I teased it. Don Lemon couldn't accept Morgan Freeman's answer there, so he came back to it a little bit later in the interview and said the following. So can we? Can I go back to because I, I I thought what you said was fascinating because you called it bull when you said people can't you know pull themselves up. Do you think that race plays a part in wealth dis- distribution or either a mindset that you can't today? Or cannot? Yeah. No. You don't. No. I don't. I know. You and I. We're proof. Why would race have anything to do with it? Stick. Your, put your mind to what you want to do and go for that. Uh, it's kind of like religion to me. 
it's a good excuse for not getting there. Yeah. You know, I said, it's probably get me in trouble, but I said to and someone... We'll stop it there. He just goes on to talk about t- discussing race as often as he does. But that answer by Morgan Freeman, I just thought, today? Now, now back in when Jim, when, um, uh, Jim Crow laws were, were in existence and Morgan Freeman was growing up and his father before yeah. him, yes, yes, absolutely. Race played a big role in wealth distribution or wealth opportunity, etc. Today, Absolutely not. And if you want proof, look at the two of us. Two black men from the deep south. Both of us are millionaires. Uh, this, how did it happen if there was, if it was, if there was, uh, something holding us back because of our skin color? Yeah. Don Lemon is a bubblehead. I mean, and, and I mean that because people like him, they, they live in a bubble. It's like, it's like they go to work, they sit up behind their desk, and he makes millions of dollars, and then he goes home and he goes to his cocktail parties. He, people like him have never had real jobs. They almost don't see the country as it exists now. They see it as it existed uh, before they were born. Uh, the skin color issue of this country, it's proven that it's culture, it's not color. Amy Chua, if you've never read Amy Chua's books, uh, this woman is amazing how she breaks down these issues on a cultural level. And she talks about, she's a tiger mom, if anybody's familiar with that term. Uh, she I, talks I, about what, cultural. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Khalid, I hate, I, I hate to cut it, but it's 10.54. You've run my clock. You know how this goes. We, we've got to get out of here <laughs> and wrap it up. But I just wanted you to hear that part, to hear Don Leb- Lemon begging for affirmation from Morgan Freeman. He begged Morgan Freeman, please agree with me that race is holding our people back, please. And Morgan Freeman wouldn't do it. Uh, and it was just so amazing to listen to the God bless Morgan Freeman. Amen to that. Exactly. Khalid, thank you, my brother. I appreciate it. Always great talking to you. I'll talk soon. Thank you, brother. All right. We've got to get out. We'll come right back in and wrap it after this. Absolutely always. There's just no other way to say it. Always right. Never left. Always right. Never wrong. And that's because we don't just throw things and pull things out of a hat and throw it, throw it against a wall and see what sticks. We do research. We've got facts. We've got sources. We've got citations for everything that you hear on this radio program. And on this radio program today, as we get ready to wrap it up here on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, as we celebrate the life and the legacy of the great civil rights pioneer and activist, I want you to remember... Martin Luther King was right. Ibram X. Kendi is wrong. Martin Luther King is right. Maxine Waters is wrong. Martin Luther King is right. Joe Biden is wrong. Martin Luther King was right. Kamala Harris is wrong. You see, the difference between the two is Martin Luther King believed in true equality. He wanted equality of opportunity for all persons of all colors. People to be judged by what's inside their character, not what's outside their skin color. And all of the other people I just mentioned believe the exact opposite. They believe people should be judged by the color of their skin, not by what's inside, and that they should be given things on that basis. So remember that if you remember nothing else on MLK Day today. Thanks, Johnny Hiles, for the extra effort getting in, my friend. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.